If you're a guest with us this morning, we just want to welcome you today. We're glad that you're here. Uh, we know that there are folks who are traveling and are here on vacation as well. Glad to have you with us. We want you to know that uh, here at Summit Church, we are on a journey where we are uh, just trusting God in that we're taking the Bible a book at a time and teaching through the Scripture verse by verse. And uh, as we come to Luke chapter 14 this morning, we find Jesus is at the home of a prominent Pharisee on the Sabbath day. Now, you know, it's quite an honor to come to church and then have somebody invite you to lunch at their house after church. And this is kind of what's taking place here. But, but we'll see that these Pharisees don't have good intentions in, in what they're doing. But I do want to mention that Luke mentions Sabbath rule abuses more than any of the gospel writers do. Uh, he's well aware that the religious elite love to enforce their, their, their religious rules, and especially their Sabbath day rules, to the point that they've totally missed or they're missing the heartbeat and the intent as to why God created the Sabbath for man. And Jesus isn't going to have anything to do with it. He's going to confront them at every corner on this. The Sabbath was intended for blessing, not for cursing. It was intended for freedom, not for bondage. It was intended to enjoy and not to impress or oppress. Uh, impress or oppress, both of those probably could work, and we'll see that. It was, in t- in, in t- it, it was intended by God for healing and not for beating up. And uh, I think right there we see a very, very significant uh, application in that we were created to, to live life to its fullest, and part of living life to its fullest is understanding Sabbath rest and Sabbath blessing. That it, we don't get into religious bondage over Sabbath, but we come to realize God created it as an opportunity for His glory and an opportunity for us to recharge. And I don't want to stand up here this morning and say Sabbath is intended as a day to do nothing. Because what we're talking about is being intentional about rest. <laughs> okay, and, and that is something. That is something very, very, very important and necessary part of our lives. Now, it always fascinates me that we have somehow in our American culture uh, taken on these vacations that we get halfway through them and we say, I can't wait to get back to work so I can finally get some rest. <laughs> I think we're missing what rest is all about because we can consume our rest time with so much stuff that we're just wearing ourselves down, aging ourselves all the more <laughs> and missing what God had planned for us. It's fascinating to me in Hebrews chapter 4, we see very clearly that even though the Jews were very disciplined about Sabbath, it says there they missed the whole intention of Sabbath rest. And therefore it invites us. It says, therefore let us make every effort. And I love that. Every effort to enter into His rest. Right? That's, that's where it is. Effort of resting. I, I love that. Very, very, very beautiful. We're going to get into this text here. Uh, Luke 14, verse 1. But before we do, I just want to pause here. And I want us to consider where we are. I want us to consider, are we ready to listen? Not to Michael Descoli. I don't know how to do this. I emphasize it often. How do I disappear? And how do we hear what the Lord is saying, hearing His voice and responding accordingly? With me up here, there's a potential of my need to maybe manipulate or to make things happen. 
But that has nothing to do with it. What is the Spirit saying this morning? Okay? So there's several things that, that could be uh, interrupting today. There could be distractions that we just need to give to the Lord. Some of those things are huge. I mean, we might be concerned about people. Uh, we might be concerned about situations. Uh, the news has been very, very fearful recently. You know, it might be that stuff and you're not sure about your future. Just giving those things to the Lord, that's part of it. Another part of it is this whole business of fallow ground that we become crusted over because we've done church so much that we really don't expect God to do much. So it's about breaking up the soil so that what God wants to put in can penetrate instead of run off the surface. Okay, So just take a moment and cast your cares on the Lord. Consider the state of your heart. Ask God to speak to you this morning. Would you do that? Lord, we really, really, really need to hear from You today. We've heard a lot of voices this week. And much of those voices have uh, attributed to anxiety and fear. But we thank You, Lord, that in You there is perfect love. And that Your perfect love drives out all fear. So we ask You, speak into our lives, Lord. Speak into our lives. We're ready to receive from you. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to read the text here in verse 1 in just a moment. But when I get there, I just want you to notice a couple things. I want you to notice that Jesus is being carefully watched by these men that I often refer to as the religious elite. And you can hear almost hear rebellion in my voice against religious systems. And I, when I use the word religious elite, and I really mean that because religion is truly a dangerous thing. It's not about the motions of going through a religious process. It's about coming to know the living God and Him knowing us. Anything else about it, we need to just put aside because that is not where God lives. He wants a relationship with you. This outward courtesy that they are showing to Jesus by inviting Him over is nothing more than a poisoned apple. And if you've been under this teaching now with us on this journey, then you wonder why Jesus would even accept an invitation by these guys anyway. I mean, after all, Jesus has been very candid with them about their hypocrisy. He's been brutal with them about their ways and and how they're misleading people. And He's going to confront them at every point. Coming to this dinner, he knew that they were out to get him, but the fascinating thing that I see here regarding Jesus is that he's not afraid. In fact, Jesus will accept an invitation to dinner from anyone who who will invite him. Jesus loves to eat. And if if you've been with us, this is the sixth 
time in the study of Luke that we see Jesus and food working together. There will be nine times total in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus is interacting with people over a meal. And then also I want to point out here that he doesn't show a whole lot of discretion about whom he's going to have a meal with. I mean, one moment he's, he's eating with people who have the worst of reputations. He's eating with prostitutes, eating with thieves. He's eating with, with tax collectors who in this culture would have been considered the, the worst of, of sinners. Uh, one moment, then the next moment, he's e- eating with the greatest pretenders. And this is who I'm referring to as the religious elite. These Pharisees, these scribes, these lawyers, these students of the law. And then other times, if you're familiar with Scripture at all, you realize he will invite himself to dinner. I mean, think about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector who truly was considered the worst of sinners. And when Jesus saw him, climbed up into a sycamore tree so he could get a look at this Christ that was coming, he takes one look up there and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to stay at your house today. And, and that's so important because Jesus is still inviting himself over to dinner. Think about Revelation 3.20, a call to those who will listen. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Jesus loves to eat. And I appreciate that. Huh? Yeah. My grandma always would say, manja, manja. She loved it when we Italian kids would, would eat her good food. Jesus loves to eat, but it's really not about the food. It's really about the connectedness and the fellowship, particularly in this culture, what it signifies to have someone over to dinner. It means there's reconciliation between us, that there's no conflict between us, that we are in peace and that we are doing life together, that we want to do life with you. And in Jesus inviting himself over to dinner, he's saying, my father wants to have a relationship with you. And by you inviting me into your spiritual house, you're welcoming my father. You're coming home to him and finding the place of reconciliation and peace and unity so that we can have fellowship together with God. The reason the world is in such a mess is because we are separated from a living God living in a fallen culture. And Jesus is the expression saying, we want to eat with you. Turn around. Come back home. So the application at this point, have you invited Jesus into your spiritual self? And inviting Jesus into your spiritual self affects every part of you because God wants to be in relationship with you. He wants you to be in relationship with Him. Put aside all the religious bondage And hear that. Your loving Heavenly Father has great plans for you that begin in a proper relationship with Him. So now we pick it up. Verse 1. And you'll see all this. One Sabbath, when Jesus went out to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, and of course that would be prominent in the eyes of men, not necessarily in the eyes of God here, says He was being carefully watched There in front of him, now this person that's been placed in front of him, did he just show up or was he invited into the situation? I'm proposing that he was brought here with ill intent, okay? 
There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Now remember, we're dealing with Dr. Luke, the author here. So he wants us to know exactly what this guy has. And he has dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts of the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Then he asked them, and of course all this is in line with what just happened. If one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. So this whole thing is a setup here. These religious guys deliberately placed this man in front of Jesus in order to build their case against him, in order to have cause against him for breaking their Sabbath rules, for having no regard for their, their religious system. The truth of the matter is that they, they never would have considered have to, to invite a man in this man's condition to have a meal at their house. We're talking about this man with dropsy. They would never have invited him except in a case like this to ex- exploit him, which reinforces everything that Jesus is going to say. They're using this ill man in order to build their case against Jesus. And that's a major, major, major problem. Dropsy. It's a swelling of the body caused by excessive fluids in the tissues, often related to failed kidneys, uh, failed liver. Liver problems could be related to cancer. can be a very dangerous situation. They bring this man here to trap Jesus. But what Jesus does is he turns the tables on them. And the way he turns the tables on them is by posing this question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Okay? Now, if, if you're in their situation, here's how it plays out. If they would have said no, then the people in the general uh, uh, society there, the general citizens, would have considered them to be heartless. Because as Jesus points out, following this up, they care more about their animals than they care about people. Okay? So a no answer would have considered them heartless. But on the flip side, if they would have said yes, then the religious elite sitting around them would have considered them lawless. So the way Jesus proposes this question is, will you be heartless or will you be lawless? And backed in the corner, they had absolutely no response. So Jesus does the right thing to do in this situation. He heals this man. Here these Pharisees had brought this man before Jesus to gain evidence against Jesus, but instead Jesus turns the table and uses it as evidence against them, exposing their hypocrisy. A couple of ways. First, they claim to be defending God's laws, but they're breaking all God's laws because they're not demonstrating a love for God by their love for their fellow man. So they're treating him in an indecent fashion. And secondly, here they have the Messiah standing and we're sitting right before them and they refuse to acknowledge who he is. Instead, they're choosing to find fault with them or find fault with him. Now, we could easily stay here all day and find fault with these Pharisees. And of course, you know where I live, that I have real problems with the religious elite. But the right thing to do is to turn this on ourselves and begin to ask ourselves the question, what is it that keeps us from responding to people's needs the way that Jesus would respond to their needs? Is it our, is it our busyness? Is it our fear? Uh, might it be a set of rules? You know, I mean, even, even in tithing, could tithing potentially keep us 
from giving to somebody else. And what would Jesus have, have done? Coming to church this morning, if someone's broken down along the way, you know, do you get there on time or do you stop to respond to the need? And anything that gets in the way of us caring for people is missing the point of everything that God is about. So operating out of freedom. You say, man, Michael, you're operating in dangerous territory giving us that kind of liberty. No, I'm not. This is about the glory of God being exhibited in your life by a world that has tended to define your Christianity as being nothing more than a bunch of rules. And I would much rather God be glorified than that we obey a bunch of rules. Okay? But there's a second application that I see here, and, and that is, are we standing before Jesus like this man? Have we been placed before him? And what do we consider as we stand before Jesus? Are we broken? Are we depressed? Are we struggling? Do we realize that he loves to liberate and he loves to heal? And that applies to me too. That he can meet us at our point of need. That he desires to meet us at our point of need. So two things there. <clears throat> are we responding to needs the way Jesus would? And are we receiving from Jesus what he wants to pour in our lives. Verse 7. When Jesus noticed how these guests had picked places of honor at the table, <coughs> he told them this parable. Now it's been said that most people, and I, and I need to hear this because I, I recognize just how true it is of me, that, that most of us wear signs that say, and, and they're invisible signs that really scream out, please make me feel important. Please validate me. And it seems to just be our human nature, something to do with our fallen nature, that causes us to look for ways to be valued, to, to be significant players, to be part of the game. It, it might have to do with associating with the right people. It might have to do with finding ourselves in the right places. It might have to do with finding ourselves at the right spot at the table. And that's the situation here. We are invited to a guest house, and the closer you sit to the host, the more significant your place or the more significant a person you must be. And so there's this envy and this clamoring to get the top spot at the table. That's what's seeing right here. So Jesus now tells us parables, starting in verse 8. and says, When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this man your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. And, and you read that and you wonder, well, why would I have to take the least important place? I mean, here you are sitting at the best place and you're feeling pretty good about it, but now the host has come up and asked you to move. Why would you have to take the least important place? Well, because while you were enjoying your spot there at the head of the table, everyone else came in and sat down. <laughs> and so that only leaves one spot for you. Huh? Is that on the bottom rung? Yeah. And so how embarrassing is that? I mean, you're feeling pretty good about the seat that you've obtained, but now the host has to come up to you in front of everybody and say, boy, I really intended that spot for someone else. I'm so sorry. Uh, and there's only one place left. Would you go sit down there? <laughs> I don't want to find myself in that spot. So here's Jesus' solution in the second half of the parable, verse 10. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, 
move up to a better place, then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I had a little fun playing with this word uh, humility this week from the Greek word humilitas, which means to be low or of the earth, but it's taken from the root word hummus. Now listen to this definition I found of, of hummus. Any organic matter that has reached a point of stability where it will break down no further. I love that. Read it again. Any organic matter that has reached a point of stability where it will break down no further. And I found out that it's in that state that it becomes food to all sorts of living creatures and becomes part of their reproductive process. So it's very beneficial in fruitful living, but it's broken down to the point of great stability. So I've taken it further this way for you and me and defined it like this. It's brokenness before our Heavenly Father that takes us to a point of stability. Okay, now, we have all kinds of flooding going on in our country right now. And if you look at rivers, you know what a river will easily sweep away are those things that are light or those things that are inflated. Okay, so, uh, well, on the other hand, it will have a difficult time moving those things that are solid or of great stability. So here we are right now. We are on the verge of uncertainty in our nation and what will the future hold. And we can look at that and we can say these times of trouble become a mighty river that will carry away those things that are light or inflated, but will have little impact against those things that are weighty and solid. Okay, now all of this is working together because painting this picture here, I believe that God has incredible plans for each and every one of us, all of his creation. He loves us and has great plans for us, but he cannot allow those things to become a reality in our lives until we reach a place of stability that's founded in a brokenness before him that allows him to have complete and full reign of our lives. So what this is, it's a breaking down of self and it's a breaking down of pride, those things that tend to inflate. Huh? Are you following me here? Yes, those things that are easily swept away. So he allows us to come and face things that can break us, that He can use to break us down in order that we might be able to withstand whatever might be thrown our way. And then when amazing things happen, our response will be like this. And I saw a twofold response. First, we will realize that it's not us doing it and therefore we'll give glory to God, which is really why we were created, right? And secondly, uh, we'll know that we didn't do anything to, to deserve it, and therefore there will be no tendency toward pride. And Jesus says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, we read that, and we're in church now, so immediately we want to spiritualize everything, and we want to say, well, he's talking about our relationship with God. But I'm telling you that this is a priority that is just as social in its impact as it is in the eternal sense of the expression. Okay, Because we have all worked with people in the marketplace 
who have a tendency to think that they've got one up on everybody else or they're going to get one up on everybody else and they're vying and clamoring for position at the expense of everybody else there. And we know how people, you know, at the drinking fountain talk about those folks. They're not held in very high regard. But then we've also worked with those people who seem to have an attitude that they value people to the point that they're lifting people up. And in the end, those are the people who get celebrated. This is what this is talking about. Our relationship with God as well as our relationship with people. Now, there may be some exceptions to this, but the truth is that those people who are are truly solid people, uh, who have extremely high values, that they don't need to to go to a lot of effort of self-promotion, but if they just keep on with the way they are in their attitude of building others up, they they eventually get recognized for who they are. If not in this life, than in, the, than in the next. But also we have to realize that God is not into false humility. That false humility is just as worthless as pride itself because God will never be impressed with our status in society. God will never be impressed with our status to church. God will never be uh, satisfied with our status as to, far as what we achieve in this world. Nor will God be impressed with what other people think and say about us because what God understands goes much deeper to the motives and the attitudes of the heart. He understands what drives us. Man, that immediately caused me to think about the prophet Samuel. Okay, Samuel shows up at Jesse's house ready to anoint a king. God has told him to anoint a king. The first guy he sees is the eldest son, Eliab and man Eliab is tall and he's strong and he's handsome and immediately yes this has got to be our king Samuel thinks well God has a word for Samuel and he says to him do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him the Lord does not look at the things man looks at man looks at the outward appearance but the Lord what does it say Looks at the heart. Yeah. And, you know, I have to do some self-examination at this point. I have to think, what really drives me? And it's easy some moments to convince myself that I'm doing it all for the right reasons, but then there are those other moments when I'm able to get beyond the surface and be very, very real with myself and, and be humble before the Lord and to say, Lord, my motives are not pure. I have self-intent here rather than God honoring intent. Have you noticed how things are shaking right now? And everything we put our security in is being shaken. The word social security. It says your security is in something that government can provide. But government's being shaken right now. The U.S. dollar's being shaken right now. What's going to happen to my Social Security? What's going to happen to my Medicare? What's going to happen to my Medicaid? What's going to happen with my house? What's going to happen with my investments? What's going to happen with my retirement? But I, I wouldn't be honest with you if I didn't say things are being shaken in the religious world as well. 
In fact, go even so far as to say things are being shaken in the Christian church today. And things will be shaken because when we put our trust in anything but God, and here I'm proposing that even the church itself can replace God, miss God in the course of church, that that will be shaken in order, hopefully, and in God's intention, to help us to see the one thing that really is solid and secure, and that is God himself. So this whole matter of the inflated thing and the ego and, and pride, the only thing we can ever replace it with that is solid and of, of substance is in God himself. He is the one who will stand firm and secure and prevail to the end. God honors those who recognize how desperately in need they are of His mercy. And so just a word of caution in everything that I've said here. When Jesus advised His guests to take, or these guests at this place, to take the lowest places, He wasn't giving them some kind of gimmick that is a proven formula for getting yourself exalted. Okay? I love this quote by Albert Einstein when he said, Try not to become a man of success, but a man of virtue. He understands it's more about what we are at the core than the impressions that we make. Okay? Uh, James writes these words, taken from Proverbs. God opposes the proud. Wow, how do you want to live your life? With God opposing you <laughs> or with God working on your behalf? Well, if you want to know what God opposes, we see it right here. God opposes the proud. And to understand why is to understand the core of rebellion and sin that has gotten us to this place we find ourselves. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Okay? Now, just a couple of quick random thoughts about this whole idea of humility. Some you've heard before, I'm sure. Humility isn't about thinking less of oneself. Do you want to try to finish it? It's about not thinking of yourself at all. Yeah. All right. The person who puts himself down isn't necessarily a humble person. It's not about putting yourself down. It isn't a capacity of convincing others that you're humble. Maybe you know the rest of, of this quote. The moment we think we're humble, yeah, we just lost it. That's right. Because humility is a place where we have compared ourselves to Christ and find ourselves falling short and needing desperately a Savior. It's about understanding, our, our, our understanding and accepting our limitations. It's also about recognizing that we do have gifts we do have strengths. We do have things that we can contribute. We do have things that can make a difference, a positive difference in the lives of others as we use them to serve others for the glory of God. So it isn't about self-degradation, but it's about a realistic assessment of who we are and what we have, and then it's a commitment to using those things for the glory of God. So here's the application, and we've been hearing this now for a little while, but it is so worth repeating as far as application goes. It goes like this. Only in brokenness before our Heavenly Father will we ever reach a place of great stability. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted.
And so right there, I think we just need to pause before our Heavenly Father and recognize how desperately we need Him to be for us what we just aren't naturally. This is not who we are. Okay? And, and, and it causes a little fear to give that up because we're vulnerable. Can we really trust God at His Word? Can we really? Yeah, and, and we say yes. But, you know, what I found... And I don't say this to put the response down because I love the response. Man, if I hammer you from responding, then I'm in trouble because I love the response, which is part of my ego problem as well. You know, But I, I've, I've evaluated, my, my, evaluated myself and I find that I'm often the quickest one to say yes and the quickest one to the altar. But when I evaluate the yes and then I am honest with myself, what I say and what I live out tend to be in conflict with each other. And so this is really a humble walk of great dependence. Because I want to be consistent. I want to be, you know, what you see is what you get. And you, you splice me open. One of Valerie's co-workers said to her that I'd love to cut your head open to see what's going on in there. Well, I can tell you this. I live with that woman. And the deeper you cut, the better it's going to get. <laughs> okay? Because, man, she just blows, blows me away. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. And I know you don't like to hear that stuff here, but... Just give, we're casting crowns. Give all the glory to God. Awesome. Verse 12. So then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so uh, you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and, and incidentally, the, the lame and the blind were prohibited by Jewish law from participating in temple activities. Okay, But he says, invite those people to your houses. That's what Jesus says. Okay, uh, Where am I? Verse 14. And you will be blessed. And then here's that statement we've heard today uh, confirmed in the scripture. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So Jesus isn't saying not to invite your friends and family over, but what he's saying is if you expect to have any kind of reward in heaven for what you're doing, don't think it's going to come from inviting the obvious. It's just the opposite. It's about reaching beyond that and inviting the rejected. And that's what he's talking about. Because if you understand the kingdom, the kingdom is never about one person getting one up on the other. It's not about buying and clamoring for position, but instead it's about pushing one another up to help each other become everything else that we can become. That's what is a kingdom principle, and that's what's going to work ultimately for the glory of God. And you say, wow, that is way radical. But what we need to understand, and, and I, I say this every once in a while, is I love our God because he never asks us to do things that he himself isn't about or doing. And we see this very, very clearly in Philippians chapter 2, this description of Jesus. Now watch this. It says this. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, man, you want to talk about the ultimate crown, the ultimate gold star, there it is right there. Being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. In other words, he wasn't holding on to anything too tightly, but was willing to let it go. Okay? 
made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Serve who? His creation? Us? These fallen people? Exactly. Huh? Taking the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness, and being found in the appearance it found an appearance as a man. So here's the first element of communion, and we're going to take communion in just a moment. This is the bread of heaven come down, the body of Christ. He took the very nature of a man. God did that. Why would he want to be like us? But he did. He humbled himself and became obedient to death. So now we see the second element of communion. We see the blood, which is the blood of the new covenant. It says, no way can we ever be good enough before God. So God gave His own sacrifice, sacrificed His very own Son in order to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Okay, Even death on a cross. He put us above Himself and then He died at our hands. Okay, Not that anyone could take His life. He gladly laid it down. But the picture is just amazing. And this is our Father who knows this about us. He knows that when we, invite our, when we invite people over, we generally will ask three questions. Number one, is this a person that I need to pay back for some kindness that they've shown me? Number two, is this a person whom, if I invite them over, will somehow reciprocate by doing a kindness for me? Or three, is this someone who has the potential of elevating my position socially, of making me look really good. So the application at this point is, why do we do the things that we do? God knows our heart. Is it simply to advance our position or to raise our social stand or to take care of those things that are close and near and dear? Or is it for the glory of God? Are we trying to impress and receive glory? Or are we trying to exalt our Father? And he says, you've got to reach outside your comfort zone if you're going to be Jesus to others. So rather than being motivated by our need to be validated, let's be motivated by who God is and our desire for Him to be glorified. So I've got to say it again. Humility. Brokenness before our Heavenly Father that brings us to a place of stability. Yeah. It's not who we are. It's not even who we want to be. And we could listen to this and we could have several responses, I'm sure. We could say, no way. I don't believe it. Okay? So at that point we're saying, whatever the Word of God says, I disagree. Okay? Or we could look at it and we could say, I believe it, but forget it. I mean, I heard it. It all sounds good, but I'm going to leave here and I'm going to be unchanged. And you might not be making that decision uh, by intention, but you're making it by default. Okay? Life's going to go on just as usual. <clears throat> I heard it, and that's enough. I feel good about myself because I'm now on the side of those who have heard and know better. <clears throat> or you can hear it. And you can cause it to, to pull you to your Heavenly Father and say, thank you, Lord. I see again and I'm reminded how desperately I need a Savior in Jesus Christ, how desperately I need your Holy Spirit manifesting Himself in my life in order that I might have the possibility of becoming anything like you. And that's vitally important. 
Because without holiness, no man will see the Lord. God doesn't save us to leave us where we are. He saves us to transform us. Now that can put us on this uh, performance kick to think, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, like the little train that could. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Right? And that leads to frustration and defeat. Or we can say, together with God, all things are possible. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. So, we're going to move to a time of communion. If someone wants to go and invite the kids to join us. This is the Word of God. And I have been faithful to honor the Word of God to the best of my ability, hopefully beyond my ability to where God is glorified. I need you to just take a minute between you and God. Consider what it is that God is speaking to you. What is His Holy Spirit saying? And what would He have you do in response? This is your time with the Lord. The kids will join us in just a moment.